probably all kinds of emotions. But joy being at the center of that. Or perhaps something smaller, more everyday kind of thing. You go outside for a walk in at sunset and you see the reflections of the sunset off the mountains and you just are in awe of the beauty in which we live. And that could cause in you a sense of joy. John Piper argues um, in one of his sermons in the book of Philippians, he says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, sorry, in the word and in the world. So what Piper's arguing is that Christian joy supersedes regular joy. Not that people who don't know Christ can't experience joy, because just in those two examples that I gave, and there's many, many more, we can feel joy. What Piper's arguing, and what I think Scripture teaches us and shows us, is that in the midst of those situations, the reason that we have a fuller, more deep sense of joy is because they point us to something where joy is truly found. When we're going for that simple little walk and we see the beauty of what's been created, we're in awe, not of creation itself, but of the one who created. And we get drawn into this sense of how awesome God is. In the more uh, significant moments, like perhaps childbirth, is not only are we amazed that this little baby is there and that that's our child, but that all of a sudden we recognize that we are God's child and that he loves us far far more than we could ever understand, even in that moment, loving that child. As we think about all the things that bring us joy, is if they focus us towards Christ and his beauty, whether through the word or through the world, through everyday experiences, those should bring us a sense of realization, I am in relationship with the creator of the world, and he loves me. What greater joy could we possibly have than that? Now, there are great things in this world. There are great moments, and, and those, I'm sure some of those thoughts that you thought of what bring you joy, those are good things. We're not trying to say that they lack meaning, but in comparison to Christ, their meaning is so, so insignificant. And so we as Christians should be marked by joy. Like we've said over the last few weeks is your circumstance and your situation can't take your hope away because your hope is in Christ. It can't take your peace away because you have spiritual peace with God. And this morning, no matter what obstacle you're going through, your joy can't be sucked dry because your joy is in the fact that Christ is risen and that he will bring you to be with him again. That doesn't mean we don't have problems or struggles. It doesn't mean that we don't have hurts and pains, but it does mean that we start to see them in, properly, in a more proper context in comparison with the rest of our life. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let's look to Matthew chapter 2. This is a very familiar passage for us at Christmas again. We'll read verses 1 to 12. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard, sorry, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler 
who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You see these wise men here who we don't know a lot about, but what we do know is they came from a foreign land. They weren't looking to Jesus to be the Messiah necessarily, but they were pouring over ancient documents because even they knew that Bethlehem was going to be the place of the Messiah's birth. And when they came there, they, or, or I should say when they saw the star, they went, this is an event we cannot ignore. We can't miss. We have to go. We have to see. And so they travel this great length, and when they get there, in verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. With exceedingly great joy. This is not a normal moment. This is not something that occurred every so often. This is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. And I think for us, for me, I'll speak for myself, for me it can become very easy to forget the significance of Jesus' birth. Because it's just normal to me. This is, this is how I've been raised. This is the faith that I've believed since I was young. This is the book that I've studied and learned. And so it just becomes this normal part. Yeah, Jesus came to earth. But for them waiting for this moment, they were waiting because they knew that their sin had not been dealt with. They were still waiting for one to come and redeem them. And so this moment represented something so far beyond that we, when we read about it, when we drive around and when we see a little manger scene outside of a church, we should rejoice with exceedingly great joy regardless of what our world looks like in that moment, regardless of what my life looks like in that moment. Because I know that I'm loved by the King. And he sent someone that I might have a chance to be with him for eternity. Again, our circumstances should not dictate it. I heard one theologian say it this way, is that we choose joy. I don't know about you, but for me, every problem in my life, in the moment in which it comes to me, is a million times bigger than it actually is. Can anybody relate? Just me. Okay, good then this is just hypothetical stuff we're going to share now. Here's just a really silly example of this this week. I shared this with our, with our board. Um, we, in the process of the next few weeks or, or months, hopefully on the week side, but you never know, uh, we're upgrading some of our sound equipment that has let us down and some of our technology that causes us a great deal of stress uh, on Sunday mornings especially. Uh, we're in the process of upgrading that. And so I was on the phone with somebody this week about, you know, dealing with all the specifics of that. And I know just enough to be dangerous, right? Like, theoretically, I know what he means. But then my mind got thinking, and there's a couple of weird connections that come from the back that need to go in the soundboard. And the soundboard is newer, and so it's 
new technology, different ends, all these things. And so this is, this is now in the evening, and I'm thinking this through and going, oh, yeah, I got it. No, I don't. Okay, I got it. No, I don't. And it was just back and forth. And so then what happens to someone with ADHD when that happens and bedtime comes? <laughs> That's not good. Let me just say it that way. But it was Monday, and Monday is not church day for me. It's my family time. So I don't come to church on Monday unless there's an emergency. This does not classify as an emergency, no matter what I thought. Two o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock, right? And I remember sitting there, or sitting, laying there going, I just, I'll just get up and I'll just come over here. I'll just see what the ends are and then I'll know because if, if I can just see them instead of thinking and, and it was just consuming my thoughts. And then I realized, to what end? What does that accomplish? If I do know what ends are there, I still don't know enough to know if I'm right. So what am I going to accomplish? Nothing. So all of a sudden, the lack of sleep that night means how does Tuesday go? Not as great. Was I patient? Was I kind? I hope so. I doubt so. It just consumed me. And this little tiny problem made it so much that I couldn't get it out of my mind, out of my head. And that's just a silly little example of something where it's a little problem and it can become so much bigger in its scope than what it actually is. And as you reflect on your life, you are, I'm sure, going through far more significant challenges than that far more significant things in your life. And yet, if we're not careful, that can become the only thing in our life in that moment. This problem that I'm facing, there's nothing else. I can't think of anything else. I'm hurting my emotions, just everything. It can consume us. And this is where the theologian that I was reading said, choose joy in that moment. Something that Ernie has taught me, and, and probably all the guys at men's group, because he says this from time to time, is that while our brains are incredibly complex, Ernie says it this way, we're not that smart. We can only focus on really one thing at a time. And so he says, when you're feeling stressed or angry or upset or sad or any kind of those negative things, instead of dwelling on that, think of all the good that God has done in your life. Think of all the blessings that you do have. It doesn't make all the problems go away, but it does put them in their proper scope. It does give us proper perspective where we realize, yes, this is a problem, but praise the Lord, there's so much else that I can focus on as well. It's not meant to be this sense of naivety where you go, oh, if I just ignore this problem or pretend it's not there, it'll go away. That's not it at all. But it's meant so that it doesn't consume you. It doesn't make everything else get less and you can start to see this is a problem. Lord, thank you that you have promised that you will give me wisdom to deal with this problem. Thank you that in your word that I know that it says that God, that Jesus walks with me through this problem and that I'm not alone in this. God, thank you that in spite of how alone I feel in this moment, I am not. See, we have to choose joy in the midst of those struggles and those challenges because if we don't, we can be consumed by them. David, in the book of Psalms, you can flip there already, Psalm 16. If you read just kind of one psalm at a time, it kind of bounces all over the place like crazy. And it's actually, I think, really good that it does that because when you step back and you read multiple psalms or multiple chunks of the psalms, what you see, uh, especially in David's life, is 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything in between. You see the praise and the joy. There's one psalm where every second line it says, His steadfast love endures forever. David reminds himself of that over and over and over and over. And clearly in that moment, as you read through that psalm, he was in this spiritual high, this sense of things were good in his mind. But then you come across other psalms of lament where he's crying out, Lord, why have you done this? Why have you let this happen? And again, any and everything in between. And so when we get to Psalm 16, we get to a psalm of joy. And this is in the midst of a lot of hardship that David's going through. But let me read it to you. He says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no God apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If we were to dwell on a psalm like that, there is so much in there that we can apply to our own lives. Over the last year, I've gotten into the habit of reading one psalm every morning and praying through that psalm. And this is the kind that's only 11 verses long, but you might not get through that morning because there's so much in there that you, can, you and I can identify with. So look at some of these things that David says. God holds our lot. He is in control. I have a beautiful inheritance because of him, namely heaven. God gives me counsel and wisdom. I'm not going to be shaken because he holds me in his right hand. I am secure, and so I rejoice. Why are we secure? Because the promise, I will not be abandoned to hell. And then there's a messianic promise in there as well. Jesus did not taste physical corruption because he rose from the dead. And praise the Lord, so too will we. God will reveal to you your path of life. In just these simple few verses, David looks at all of these things and says, God, thank you that this is true. And he finishes in verse 11 by saying it this way, in your presence there is fullness of joy. When we lack joy, all we need to do is go to him. Because when we're at the foot of the cross, when we stand side by side with Jesus, when we recognize the love with which he loves us and how he is using us and working in our lives, those hardships, while they still are there, lessen in their scope and we start to realize just how wonderful and how faithful God is. As we remind ourselves, God, you have done this in my life. Thank you. This past week I had a 
mentoring meeting for my seminary class, and we were talking, um, the fellow that I meet with every couple of months, uh, I've known since I began in ministry. And so he's walked through us, uh, he's walked with us through some very difficult situations, not necessarily right there with us, but, you know, through the wonderful advantage of email and text and phone call, all these things. He's always been a part of my journey. And, and we came across a couple of questions that he asked, that he answered about my life that I had forgotten. You need someone like that in your life. Someone who knows when to remind you, remember when you went through this and yet God was faithful? Oh, yeah. I've, I don't know if I blocked it from my memory, right, because of the situation, but I'd just forgotten, and all of a sudden, I was reminded of somebody else of the goodness of God in my own life when he wasn't even there, but he's remembered it. Those are people that we need in our lives. Those are people we need to push us and remind us, and then when the crisis comes, that they can sit with us and they can say, God will be with you in this. Let me remind you of why. Look what he's done. David had a beautiful way of reminding himself of that. And so he would then approach the throne of grace knowing here and here alone is joy. And so whatever your hardship is this morning, the only way you're going to find joy is going to the word of God. That you would remind yourself of the truth of your Father in heaven. That he loves you. That he walks with you in the midst of this. That he has purpose in this. That he's going to use it for his good. There are so many promises that we need to remind ourselves of. And probably more often than we would like to admit. Jesus uses an interesting metaphor of joy. This is one that that some of you in the room can identify with and some of us can't. And you'll understand why in a moment. John 16, 20 to 21 and 22, Jesus says this, when a woman is giving birth, there you go, that's the context, pretty simple. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying birth is simple, let's just clarify, I never said that. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for, the, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you now have sorrow but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Now, while Jesus is speaking to the disciples the specific context of him leaving and dying on the cross and them not being sure, he uses this very simple analogy that many people can relate to. And what I think is really funny actually is he uses this example talking to a group of men. Here's another sermon for another day maybe. But as we think about that, those of you who have been part of that journey, who have perhaps given birth yourself, or you've been in the room as your wife has given birth, is, as he says, there's anguish, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's frustration, there's every emotion probably under the sun. But when that baby comes, all of a sudden there's a complete flip of perspective. All of a sudden the pain was worth it of the joy of this little child in your arms that, especially if it's your first, that you don't know how to take care of, that you don't know how to be strong enough, you don't know what needs to be done, and yet there's so much joy in that moment. Paul understands this idea of joy, and in Philippians 1.21, Philippians is, is often called the book of joy. You've heard me quote this many times, but he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all. Notice why. For your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Notice what Paul's saying as he's wrestling it in his own life. I'd just rather go be with Jesus. And now Paul's gone through a lot of stuff in his life at that point. But he's ready to go be with Christ. And yet he recognizes that even though that is better, that is his longing, that's what he wants, he knows that it's actually for the better that he stays so that he can bring joy to these other group of people. Isn't that amazing? Suddenly his own circumstance, his own issue. Now remember, Paul wrote the book of Philippians, the book of joy from where? In prison. Thinking he's about to be executed. And all he can think of is writing this book to the Philippians that doesn't correct any bad doctrine, simply is this book of encouragement and joy. Paul goes, I would rather be with Christ, and that might happen very soon, but until that day comes, I want to bring you joy. I want to teach you who Christ is. I want to show you who Jesus is. Is that our theology? Sometimes I wonder if the problem with our theology is simply this, is that God isn't big enough compared to who he actually is. Sometimes I think we look at it from the sense of uh, God is maybe theoretically capable of helping me in this problem, but he's too busy elsewhere doing other things. That's not the Bible of, but that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is fully sovereign over everything and is at work in every situation that you face and that no matter how busy we might think God is, is that you can pray and cry out to him at any time and he hears you. And he's with you. I think when we allow our problems and our crises to overwhelm our joy, it's because we're not viewing God for who he actually is. Jesus said in John 15, 10, and 11, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What does Scripture teach us? How do we get joy? We walk in obedience to what God has done, what God has called us to do. When we live in obedience to the commandments of Jesus, we will have his spirit within us giving us joy, and actually that joy will be the fullness of joy. That's what we want. That's what we chase after. So this morning, if you are a Christian, then remember if you walk in God's commandments, he will give you his spirit. His spirit will be at work in you, and you will have joy beyond what the world can offer you. You won't have momentary things where you go, yes, life is so wonderful and all of a sudden life is so awful. You'll look at it the way that Paul did and you went, no matter what you throw at me, no matter how painful life gets, it actually doesn't matter because if you kill me, then I get promoted to heaven. If we can have that kind of a perspective, we will have joy and joy everlasting. So as you navigate through your challenges especially in in these weeks ahead of us as we are in this Christmas season. Don't deny the challenges that you're facing. Don't pretend that they're not there. Don't naively try and push them aside thinking they'll go away. 
but also don't dwell on them and think that that's the only thing. Remind yourself of the truth of God's Word. When you feel discouraged, go to Scripture and remind yourself of God's love for you. Perhaps call somebody who has journeyed through you in life so that they can remind you of the faithfulness of God in your own life. This last week I was reading through 2 Corinthians and I came across this verse in chapter 1. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You have the spirit in you if you are a Christian and it's a guarantee. He is there with you to walk with you through no matter what you face this week so that your circumstances won't steal your joy, but so that you can go, despite everything that I'm going through, I have hope and I have peace and I have joy because the Father loves me. And I'm assured a place in eternity with him. It is a guarantee. Let's pray. God, this morning as we think about this concept of joy, God, I confess that my own perspective is often far too worldly or materially circumstantial. God, would you help my theology to grow so that I would understand just how big you are? So that no matter what trial, difficulty, obstacle, what challenge, no matter what comes my way, that I would know that you are with me and that in you I have hope and peace joy. So God, I pray for each one here, for each one watching at home, the situation in their life that feels too big to get through right now, the circumstance where they aren't sure what to do or how to find an answer. God, would each of us choose to trust in you and would we go to the word, would we go to our Christian brothers and sisters to be encouraged and to be challenged? Would we not dwell on our circumstance, but would we focus on you so that we can see how you are faithful in and through all the circumstances that we have walked through? God, thank you for all that you're doing. Would you give us this kind of joy that we read about in Matthew 2, exceedingly great joy? that we might show others that our hope, our peace, our joy all comes from one source alone, Jesus Christ. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Go with us this week. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. Just that reminder that if you would like to come to Christmas Eve, we would love for you to be here, but 50 at this point is our cap. Rules may change, we never know, but please do email info at Banff Park Church if you'd like to join, and the first 50 that get there will respond to that, and then the rest you can join uh, online as well. Thanks, have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.